And uh, the, the thing that's, um, I think, really good about our ministry, our outreach, our commitment to community is, of course, it's not justified by weekend. Um, we thank God for that. We thank God for all the things that have taken place. Um, but literally, week in, week out, there are ministries that are reaching out. Just this past week, uh, Tracy and the team have celebrated a year of the Acorns Project, which has been fantastic. And uh, from where it's come from to where it's going. And uh, there's more to come, Tracy. And uh, so much more. And, uh, and of course, uh, the community hub continues to minister out. Just talking to Terry yesterday. And again, lots of people connected with week in, week out. We've got uh, touching people as we love and serve the community. So we just thank God. We thank God for those spikes that we can have, those intense weekends but uh, also so thankful that there's an ongoing ministry that reaches out from the church and uh, we want that to continue and gather pace. So uh, just to, uh, as we come this morning, just to say that Christian this morning is uh, ministering at Nottingham Road Methodist Church, which is down the far side of town as you're coming from Trowell. And uh, we pray that God will bless him and uh, he'll probably be ministering right now. So we trust that God brings a great word from him to those good people uh, in that church. And if you've got a Bible this morning, you may want to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. I'm going to read a few verses. 1 Samuel 18. Again, if it's your first time in Arena Church, we give you a particularly warm welcome. And uh, this morning we've engaged in, uh, if you like, some of the, uh, the basic building blocks of coming together. We've worshipped God. We've sang praises to Him. God is worthy to be praised. We've prayed to God. Uh, because God hears prayer and he answers and he speaks to his people. We've given to God because God loves cheerful givers. And the more God touches our heart, uh, the more we live uh, love to give back to him. We've remembered what God did for us in Jesus Christ. What a great illustration from Chris this morning. And when you hear that word scapegoat again, you'll realize that it's got a, a, a biblical foundation to it. And we want to hear from God. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We believe that the word of God endures forever. We believe that uh, everything else will pass away, but the word will never pass away. And we believe that it's got something to say to us today. Just this week, I was in a context where uh, Alan Hewitt was teaching on communication. He was reminding us that the word uh, never changes, but that it must have a relevance for today, And we're trusting that over the next few minutes, God will speak to our hearts and he'll change us, he'll shape us. He'll bring something fresh to our lives that will continually minister to us so that we will be those devoted followers of the Lord. So that's what we've done. And God is continually wanting to draw people into himself. We receive the good news of Jesus. And before the service is finished, we'll give an opportunity for people to respond to receiving the good news of the Lord. So 1 Samuel 18 says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off his robe that he was wearing, and he gave it to David along with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. In this uh, season, as we just approach uh, the main summer weeks, and just encourage you to keep pressing into God. We obviously, at this time of the year, begin to have numbers of people away. 
and people coming back. We're hitting the main holiday season. And it's important that as a, a church, as a, a, as a community of believers, we just keep pressing into God. We just keep believing God. We don't want to go to sleep. We don't want to pull back. We don't want to say God can't do anything now till September. We want to believe in these main holiday summer weeks that God is going to continue to work and to move and to bless. And so we've been, been just looking at, from the life of David, King David in the Old Testament of the Bible, about that word strengthened. Strengthened in a year of strengthening. For those of you that have been in Arena Church this year, you know that word strengthening has come with a prophetic impact to the church. And there's a number of things that we've engaged in that we, we, we've wanted to continue to bring strengthening to. Community involvement would be one. And just in God's leading, we just felt that halfway through the year, it would just be good to re-emphasize that whole principle. So just a little play on the word in terms of strengthened in a year of strengthening. And it means that we would be reinforced, we would be bolstered, we would be fortified. God building things into our lives, into our inner heart that make us strong for him. And God wants us to be strong. He wants us, uh, the Bible says in one of the older translations in the book of Daniel, that people that are strong in the Lord shall know their God and do exploits. We understand that uh, there's an enemy to our souls that wants to enfeeble us and make us weak. But God calls us to be strong, strengthened, fortified, bolstered. And so we looked a couple of weeks ago, as we began this little series that's going to just run for six Sundays, about being strengthened for the cause. Because the keynote verses that sit over David's life are found in the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 13, where it says that this man had a, had a heart after God's heart, and that he would do everything that I want him to do. It also goes on to say that in David's life, he served God's purpose in his generation. Not this generation, his generation. And I want to say, friends, that God is always looking for people that will serve him in their generation. This week, I, I've been part of a team that's been encouraging around about 100 leaders in training in our national network of churches called Assemblers of God in their journey of ministry, strengthening them, bolstering them, reinforcing them. But the reality is that out of the call of God over people's lives, God's raising up a generation now that will serve him. And we ought to be encouraged by that. Because God, friends, is never caught out by generations. Sometimes our challenges today are so very, very different to many, many years ago. But God, friends, is still wanting to raise people up and minister. The reality is at times that... Uh, the. The, the context we can find ourselves in can be incredibly overwhelming. Again, just this week I was listening and someone was reminding us of some of the teaching that used to take place in the Sunday schools in Wales in the early part of this century. My, they used to get theology laid into them like it wasn't, you know, you wouldn't believe it. But in that time, out of the revivals that took place in Wales, uh, in the early part of the 20th century, 78% of boys and girls in Wales used to go to Sunday school on a regular basis. Today, it's 3%. We've got a challenge. And sometimes around us, the landscape spiritually, and in terms of people's response to Jesus, can seem bleak. But God is raising up people, you and I amongst them, 
that will serve God in their generation. And so strengthen for the cause, strengthen for victory. They, uh, Christian uh, rolled out again so well last week, that well-known incident in 1 Samuel 17 of David toppling the huge giant Goliath. Of course, it's where we get that phrase giant killer from as well. And it seemed as though it was an impossible con- contest for him to win, but God was with him. Because he had a heart after God, oil was poured over his head, as we heard. And he was strengthened, not only for the cause, but to know victory in seeing God do mighty things. The nation had been gripped by fear. And it was turned in a moment by a young boy that believed the word of the Lord. And this, this morning, for a few moments, I want us to consider out of these verses, and one or two others that I'll draw your attention to, to being strengthened for relationships. Strengthen for relationship. You know, I hear leaders sometimes say, I don't do relationship. I'm not sure that they've understood the gospel. Because the gospel, the good news of God in Jesus Christ, is all about restoring relationship. You heard it this morning as Chris led us. God, man, big separation in the middle, our wrongdoing. The Bible calls it sin, to miss the mark. And Jesus' cross was placed in the middle of that huge chasm, and built a bridge between us and God. Why? Because God is passionate to have relationship with his created beings. He doesn't want us to be afar off. He wants us to know him in a close and blessed way. And that relationship with God needs to spill out into relationships with others. And here we've got an example of two guys that become great mates, Great friends, David and Saul, King Saul's son, Jonathan. Just want to emphasize as we start just going into this story, friends, that that's all it was. Don't, don't look into it with, if I can say respectfully, a warped view that's soft and impacted by what we see around us today. It was just two blokes that got on well together and became great friends. And blokes, you need some friends like that that will stand strong with you and help you. It was simply what the Bible describes in the New Testament as filio love. Incredible friendship love. In action, one for another. But there's a bigger lesson here for us all to absorb and take hold of. That God wants us to increasingly be strengthened in our relationships and our friendships. It'll be different things that pour out of us. There'll be different level of friendship. Jesus had that. He, he, he at one point um, commissioned over 70. You'll know that he had 12, but within the 12, he had three. He didn't have favorites, but he had different levels of friendship and relationship. They will be with you as well. There'll be different dimensions to it. It'll be impacted by age, by context, by generation. But the reality is, friends, that all of us need to be committed to allowing God to build in us and to us relationships that strengthen our lives. A British literary publication ran a competition some time ago, and they ran it on the basis of somebody bringing the best definition possible to what a friend was. And the winner of the competition described friendship as this. A friend is someone who comes in when the whole world seems to have gone out. Maybe you've needed a friend like that on occasions in the past. A friend is someone who comes in when the whole world seems to have 
gone out. A little boy said to his mom, Mom, he says, I think a good friend is someone who knows all about you but just loves you just the same. We need some friends like that as well. Not friends for us to be allowed to perpetuate bad behavior because the Bible says faithful are the wounds of our friends. We need friends that say, you know what? You need to adjust your language. You know what? You need to adjust your attitude. You know what? You need to adjust your behavior, not because they are down on you, but because they are for you and believe the best for you in God. But someone that loves us just the same, that realizes that we're all in a process, we're all on a journey, and are committed to our friendship. In a technology-centric world, we have many, as you'll be aware, social media connections. Perhaps in our country, Facebook and Twitter being the most popular, although there are many others. One in seven people in the world are on Facebook, which I'm not on. I do like Twitter. I like it because whatever people have got to say, they've only got 140 characters to say it. And so we have many, many people claiming to have hundreds of friends, really. Because the reality is, friends, that there is a disease of loneliness that is at epidemic proportions in our own nation, and it touches all stratas of society. I'm so sad sometimes when I read in the press of a young person that has taken their life, and sometimes it's simply on the basis of, I was lonely. I was lonely. And we need to ask that God will continue to help us to be a community that expresses friendship and relationship. We're conscious at times as leaders of the church that there are gaps in that. We cannot fill 24-7 in people's lives. And with respect, you shouldn't expect us to do it. But we want to create context. We're on a journey with small groups that have sometimes had a stop-start sort of approach to it, not for any wrong reasons, but just because we're trying to strengthen in that area to create context of friendship and relationship to new levels. Here, David, following the defeat of Goliath, had a growing reputation. You would think that everybody would be glad, but they weren't. There were people emerging, including, interestingly, Saul's far, uh, Jonathan's father, Saul, that were seeking to thwart his destiny and purpose. I'm reminded this week, friends, that sometimes conflict comes to our lives not because we're bad Christians, but because we're good ones. Because God is doing something in our lives, and there are forces at work that would seek to thwart God's purpose over you. You need to discern that. You need to see it for what it is and where it comes from. And in those contexts at times, as much as God is with you, you need to know that others are with you also. And so David found a wonderful friendship and relationship with Jonathan that began to see him through these seasons of his life to be all that God had ordained him to be. You'll notice in the reading this morning that it says that David and Jonathan became one in spirit. I'm reminded of that verse in Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 where Paul talks to the church there and encourages them to be one in spirit. Friends, as a church, we need to be one in spirit, not ten in spirit. That's never going to work. Not with loads of people having all sorts of views about how it ought to work, but one in spirit. That's when it works. 
It was a relationship and friendship that blossomed despite differences. Jonathan was from the palace, David from the fields. Jonathan was from privilege, David not so. Jonathan had servants, David was a servant. Remember when Samuel went looking for him in Bethlehem? He wasn't even called to stand before the prophet because he was out in the field serving his dad, simply looking after the sheep. And yet in the purposes of God, God found a one-in-spirit relationship with these two men. It's fantastic, isn't it, at times when God brings somebody across your path that you can do friendship and life with that's different to you. If I can say it with humility, friends, you see it played out every week in Arena Church because I am not like Christian. And Christian is not like me. We're different. We're different in temperament. We're different in looks. He's better looking than me. I have to put up with it every week. He's got more air than me. You don't want two of us. Well, either way that goes. But it works out, friends, in a diversity within unity that plays itself out for the cause of God and for the ministry of the church. Some of you have found friends over the years. You look back and say, I don't know how it worked. It's all different from me. And the problem sometimes is that some people only build friendships with people that are too like them. And so if you are gloomy and pessimistic and despondent, you end up finding friends that are gloomy and pessimistic and despondent. Rather than getting somebody that starts to see the glass half full rather than half empty, and so challenge your heart. You need some friends that will do that. Ralph Waldo Emerson says, the only way to have a friend is to be one. Which seems to back up what Proverbs says. When Proverbs says that he that have friends must show himself friendly. You see, if you're still saying, I want some friends, but you're walking around with barbed wire wrapped around you, you know, or you're so prickly that every time somebody says the wrong thing to you, it all goes pear shape. it's not going to work. If we want friends, we've got to show ourselves to be friendly. And around Arena Church this year, we want to see God continually strengthen, going forward, friendships and relationships. We know, friends, and let me just reiterate it this morning, that ultimately it's our friendship with the Lord that is primary. We need to spend time with him. And, look, and the wonderful response to our season of prayer and fasting reflected that we have many people in Arena Church that are passionate about deepening and strengthening their relationship with the Lord. Of course, that always comes first. But not to the detriment of connecting powerful relationships and friendships that work, if you like, on a horizontal le- level, a level of humanity where we engage with other people in doing life. <clears throat> As I come to the second part of the message, I just want to give four things to you that I think come from this story that will help us, I believe, to be strengthened in our relationships. Those of you that have got great friendships and relationships, how can they become stronger? Those of you that perhaps sometimes feel it needs to get better in this area, both from people to me and me to them, how does it get better? Those friendships that sometimes you perhaps took a little for granted but are enduring, how do they become better? Well, the first thing is that friendships and relationships work blessed in humility. Because we get to verse 4 of 1 Samuel chapter 18, and it says, Jonathan, the son of the palace, 
took off his robe that he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Here was a symbolic expression that recognized that although in the natural eye, Jonathan would be the successor to the throne because he was the son of the king, he realized that it wasn't going to happen. Because this wasn't about natural, this was about supernatural in the purposes of God. And as we mapped out in week one, the prophet went to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem and anointed David with oil and said, you will be the next king of Israel. Even though he was just a teenage boy at the time, even though it was going to take years to come to pass, his heart was after God, his head was anointed with oil, and in the conversations between David and Jonathan, Jonathan got it. He was a real friend. He wasn't jockeying for position. He wasn't trying to push his mate out of the way because he fancied being the king. He had a humble acceptance in his life of the purposes of God. And to truly symbolize this and express it, he took off his tunic, says, mate, it's yours. And his sword and his bow and his belt and says, these are all yours. I give away to the purpose of God that sits over your life. You know, I hear a lot of people talking about team friends, but I sometimes don't always see it. Because if team always goes up to somebody that's always sort of giving the orders out, it's not a team. And teams don't work because often members of teams won't give away to the success of others. And if in friendships, you're wanting to build friendships with people, that always means that you're going to come out best. It's not going to work. Because true friends champion the best of the others in which they're friends too. And when things seem to pass you by because God's come to them and blessed them in a particular way, how are you going to deal with that in your hearts? And we need to process these things. And it works best when we carry a humility of heart that says, God, I know that you've got something for me. Thank you. But I also want to, above everything else, champion what you're doing in other people. And not do it with a bad attitude. And not do it by mumbling or groaning. But absolutely to rejoice in what you do. I said this week, and I'll say it again about our national leader, John Partington. I've told him to his face that one of the great attributes of John is that he loves to empower people out of relationship. He loves to speak the more over their lives. He loves to push people into context that they didn't think they could thrive in. And when they do well, he's the first to rejoice. You'll never hear him walking away saying, well, don't, don't forget, mate, what I did for you. Don't, don't forget it was me that opened the door. Don't, don't forget I had the conversation. No, don't forget when you're getting high, just to remember, he just loves for people to do well and champions it and celebrates it. Need some friends like that. Need some friends like that that will engage with you with humility and believe the best over your life. Not only humility, but also loyalty. You see, friendships will never work if I'm looking over my shoulder wondering if that person that says they're my friend is really my friend. And it works best, friends, when I've got a friend and I'm not there. 
Because in the natural ways of life, friends, here's what happens in true friendship. And I'll use Christian as an example. Somebody comes up to me and says, that Christian thought, woo, 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 woo. Friendship is not me saying, yeah, just give it me. Yeah. Whoa. I'll make a note. Yeah. I'll lodge it in my heart. I'll use it. Hang on a minute. I don't want to hear that. If you've got a problem with Christian, you're going to talk to him. Because I want to be a friend as if he's literally in the room with me. And if he was in the room with me, you wouldn't be saying to me right now what you couldn't say to him. That's friendship. That's friendship. Where it literally, friends, does look after each other in absolute loyalty. These two men could have been so easily divided through the circumstances that were swirling around their life. But they were loyal. And so should we. The third thing is vulnerability. And we see the vulnerability of the friendship as we go into 1 Samuel chapter 20. There's a whole chapter there which I'm not going to read and I'm only going to reference to briefly. But it plays out the continuing challenges of David and Jonathan's friendship and relationship. The vulnerability, friends, is so, is so important in something we carry. And you can't, it can't be contrived. You know when you watch the Oscars sometimes? I never watch them because they're not on until 4 o'clock in the morning. I just wait until the following day. But you'll get somebody coming up. <laughs> and they've got about 27,000 people to thank. And they always forget somebody. You think, we contrived. When you get somebody that just ministers out their heart. Forgive me for referring again to this week, but it's happened on several occasions. And the person that ministered almost got taken by surprise as they shared out of the vulnerability of their heart in terms of the journey of ministry. When people are really able to be open with others, knowing that it's not going to go anywhere else. Anybody here try to be vulnerable with someone and then found it's all over social media? You think, that's it, that's it. And you pull up the drawbridge of vulnerable. I've heard people say, I am never going to be vulnerable with anybody else ever. The danger of that is that you become hard-hearted and embittered. And you won't let anybody get to you. If, if vulnerability has been misused over you, forgive the person and go again. And capture those moments where you can genuinely share your heart with those that are your friends and your mates. And so in 1 Samuel 20, David's ang- uh, sorry, Saul's anger over David, his jealousy, his envy, his insecurity increasingly intensified. And you see it played out there in terms of uh, uh, Jonathan and, and David communicating with each other. Friendship at work. But by the end of the chapter, a lengthy chapter of over 40 verses, they both realize that dangers lie ahead. And therefore, in this season, there would be a parting of the ways. In verse 41, it says, they wept together. Two blokes weeping together. He says in the Living Bible that David wept until he could weep no more. Oh, nobody's seeing me like that. Oh, not a chance. Oh. 
and inside you breaking. You've got to pick your moment, friends, in terms of the context, but sometimes you just need to let it spill. You just need to let it spill. You see, because it's great to have laughter. And it's great when laughter fills the, the air, but it's okay on occasions also to weep together and know that God's done a deep work. Humility, loyalty, vulnerability, and fourthly, longevity. Chris, in leading us this morning, reference to kids, and I'm going to also. Those of you that are raising kids and those of us that have raised kids, although they seem to be kids again when they're grown up and they're getting married next week because it's an expensive time. All donations gratefully received. Dad! We're looking forward to a good day. But you remember when kids were growing up and they'd come and say, Dad, Dad, I've got a bestest friend at school. Best, poor grandma, that, by the way, bestest. It really is. I've got a bestest friend at school. She's my friend forever. And next week they've moved on to somebody else. <laughs> Why is that? Well, it's a sign of immaturity. Children growing up. And people come and go. Going back to Anne-Marie for a moment, she's got one friend who will be there next week, and they've been friends since, since infant school. Claire Riley, since they were five, six, when Miriam first moved into Nottinghamshire. When, when they were put in separate classes at senior school, they went to the same school. But separate, they were mortified. They thought we were never going to cope with this. There was tears and tantrums. Claire's in a different class to me. The headmaster ma- head knew exactly what he was doing. He thought, we need to split these two up, you know, you know. But some of your bestest friends came and went pretty quickly. But isn't it fantastic to have some friends that stay with you for the long haul? I've got some friends and I'm, I'm, I'm hardly talking to them. They're, they're, not, they're not intricately involved in my world. But I pick the phone up and say, hi, it's Phil here. There's no, there's no sort of, oh. You know, within 15 seconds, we just picked it up and away we go. And so be mature in reflecting the longevity of commitment that you have to your friends. Someone said this about Jonathan and David. This friendship never wavered. It was never darkened for a moment. It continued unhindered by envy and jealousy to the last. Let me just pause for a moment as I come towards the end of the message because one of the things that we've spoken about about relationships over the years in arena is that little phrase, making repair. And simply to say today that for whatever reason, if a relationship's got wrong, gone wrong, and you know it's one that's worth pursuing, how about asking God's help to know how you can make repair to put it right again? As I close, I'll take you to 2 Samuel 1. Because many years later... Lots of things playing out in the theater of David's life. He hears some news. And the news is that King Saul and his son Jonathan had died. In verse 26 of 2 Samuel 1, David says, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were so very dear to me. And... 
we realise that right until the end of life, this friendship endured and lived on. Three illustrations to drive on the point this morning. As I've mentioned, you can see it's on my mind. Next Saturday, our Miriam gets married in Manchester, one o'clock. When she came back from living in Australia for six years in the autumn of 2011, she came to see us. In fact, she stayed for a couple of weeks before moving to Manchester, as was the plan. And she showed us numbers of things that she'd brought back from Australia. One was a book that her friends had made. They'd taken photographs like we've seen today. And like you can do nowadays, they took them somewhere and they had them laminated. And they, and they all put words in next to the particularly appropriate picture. And this book was quite, quite a significant book. I read through it. I read through it with watery eyes. And um, I just said, Miriam, the only way I can describe that is that on your journey, and there were seasons in her life in Australia where she had to process loneliness. But God was so good. And the only way I could describe it was well, that God had been so good to her. I says, Miriam, you have been blessed with Premier League friends. Amazing. Amazing in their friendship to her. The articulation of that in terms of what she meant to them and her to them also. And it was incredible. Some of those girls are coming over tomorrow. They'll be arriving in the UK to share her day. It helped shape destiny and purpose. And here's the truth. Your friendship to somebody else can help them get to where God intends them to go. The second illustration is from former President Nelson Mandela, who died just quite recently. And in his book, which I've got, uh, Long Road to Freedom, his biography of his life, he talks about his imprisonment, 27 years in Robben Island, just off the coast of South Africa. And of course... The incredible uh, uh, expression of Mandela is he came out with so little bitterness. He forgave people 27 years. I can remember now where we were when Nelson Mandela, Andy and with Winnie, came out of prison with Sharon, with our two little kids. About 1990, we were in Ray Short's house, who's now in glory, and we watched it on the news as he walked out, and he went like that as he came out. But Mandela said this about his years in prison. He says, the greatest mistake the authorities made was to keep us, that's the members of the ANC, together. Our determination was reinforced. We supported each other and gained strength from each other's friendship. They kept them all together. They thought they were going to break them, but these guys just refused to be broken and came out better men. Gordon MacDonald, an American preacher and teacher, now in veteran years, that came out of a period of brokenness in his life that's helped him to minister to the church of Jesus Christ with vulnerability for the last 25 years. He wrote the book, Ordering Your Private World, out of a crisis in his personal situation. He also wrote a book called The Resilient Life. And resiliency is the ability for us to bounce back into our God-ordained shape when we get compressed. And we do get compressed. And he also talks in that book about a chapter in the power of friendship. And he says this. He says, we have been friends with some people for over 20 years. And their friendship cannot be measured or priced. Strengthen for the cause. Strengthen for victory. 
strengthened for relationships. Here's a little prayer that I wrote down. Lord, give us grace and favor in knowing the blessing of enduring, empowering friendships and relationships that literally cause us to be one in spirit. Amen. Let's pray. This morning.